Lord, so true. There is no one like you. You're great, awesome, holy, perfect, righteous, just, faithful. And Lord, you love us beyond what we'll ever even be able to understand or comprehend. What a great and awesome God you are. Lord, as we go to your word right now, we pray that you alone would be our teacher. Give each of us ears to hear what you would say to us. And Lord, I just thank you that it doesn't matter what minor noise might be going on around us, your word divides right to the depths of our hearts. And so, Lord, we ask that we'd be attentive, we'd hear from you. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Judges chapter 13, continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. We're going to have some kids out here playing today, but I kind of like the sound of kids, so let's not worry about it. Amen? Amen? Jesus said, Let the little children come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And I was a youth pastor for a long time, so I can talk loud if I have to. Hopefully you guys will be attentive. All right. Judges, as we've been talking about the cycles of sin, the constant, sadly, the constant over and over again, seven times throughout this this, uh, book, over a 400-year period of time, the children of Israel keep falling into the same trap over and over again. And we're going to begin to look at that final cycle of sin tonight as they turn again from the Lord to the false gods of the world. Guys, you can't just turn from God without turning to something. And when you turn from God, you're turning to the enemy. You're turning to the world. And that's exactly what happens with the children of Israel. If you'll remember that in the previous chapters, the the rebellion, they were sold into the hands of the Ammonites and the Philistines. And then Jephthah, if you remember him, came along, defeated the Ammonites, but the Philistines have yet to be dealt with, and we're going to see them in the text tonight. Remember that Jephthah was not a man that most people would choose. He was a man rejected by his own brothers. He was a man that was kind of banished by them because he was the son of a harlot. And then he is sent away, but when time came around for them to need someone to fight battles for them, they called him back. And he ended up being the man that God used to lead them. But at the same time, while he was a man who showed great wisdom, he was also a man with a short temper. He was also a man that made some rash vows. And if you guys remember that he killed 42,000 Ephraimites, which are his own brothers in the Lord in that sense, right? They're children of Israel. And he killed them. Again, not like Gideon would return evil with good. And and that's not what happened with Jephthah. He was harsh and he went right after them. And because of that, death came about. Now, after saying all of that, we know that Jephthah's name is in, the, in God's hall of faith in Hebrews 11, which just blows me away because it gives me hope for me. Amen? That God would take a guy like that, and his name is in, the, in God's hall of faith, if you will, in Hebrews chapter 11, even though he was a man that made rash vows, he acted in wisdom part of the time, but he acted carelessly other times. Well, guess what? Even more amazing is the guy we're going to look at in the next four chapters, and if you've never really studied this guy in depth, you may think that he's a pretty awesome guy because, you know, his name's Samson. And a lot of people think, well, Samson, he's a great guy. Matter of fact, when you go to India, most of the brothers there, when they get saved, they leave their Hindu names and they take Christian names. And I was amazed how many Samsons I ran across. And I wanted to tell them, have you read Judges? But I, you know, didn't want to put a bummer on their name. So we just said, well, praise the Lord. They've read Hebrews 11, obviously, because his name is in the Hall of Faith. But when you read about this guy... He's, this guy's an enigma to me, because we want our heroes of the faith to be godly men of character, godly women of character, to have character and to have consistency in their walk, and this guy had neither. He was bold before men, and he was wimpy before women, amen? He would fight, you know, and kill thousands with the jawbone of a donkey, but yet he'd be led away by just about every woman that crossed his path. He was empowered by the Spirit, yet he yielded to the flesh. He was called to declare war on the Philistines, and so he married one of them. This is not what God wants you to do on the very people you're supposed to be declaring war on, is to marry them. He fought the Lord's battles by day, and he disobeyed God's commands by night. Maybe some of you can relate to that. Amen? You ever feel like a hypocrite? Anybody ever feel like a hypocrite? Raise your hand. Isn't it true? There's times you're on fire for God, you're walking with the Lord, you're out sharing your faith, and before you know it, you come home and you lose your temper or you blow it, and you know, you're like, what happened to the guy witnessing an hour ago? Where's the person that was worshiping? Some of you are driving out of the church parking lot and you're yelling at each other. (laughs) 
I've heard it. So the point is that we see this walking with God by day, but at night falling away. And we can look at Him and point fingers at Him, but we need to look at ourselves and realize that we too can fall into that same trap. We need to be diligent and vigilant in our faith. So his given name, Samson, means bright light or sunny, but guess what? He ends up being a blind man walking in the dark, right? His given name is sunny, bright light, and he ends up walking in the dark, as we're going to see in a few chapters, as his eyes get poked out. Well, we should be encouraged to know that in spite of all of that, again, is that he ends up in God's hall of faith. But I also believe this about Samson. Samson, I believe, is the ultimate example of how succumbing to our flesh can keep us from God's highest. I believe God wanted to do much greater things with Samson. You're going to see it tonight in the first chapter. God wanted to do great things with this guy, but you know what? God will never force us to do great things for him, ever. He will give us the opportunity. He may even give us the gift to do it, but we need to respond by faith. And if we do not, we will miss out on God's highest. One of sin's consequences in the life is a life that produces less fruit or no fruit than what God has called us to. A life set apart to the Lord, empowered by the Spirit, destined to be used mildly by God. That was Samson, and instead he got derailed by fulfilling the lust of the flesh, and he was never the man that God wanted him to be. So in the next four chapters, here's some descriptions of this guy. He starts off as a child with unbelievable promise. We're going to see that tonight. He was a child with unbelievable promise. God's hand on him. A champion with undefeatable power. Then he becomes a man with unreliable character. Then a fool who acts with undeniable stupidity. And finally, this might be harsh, but a blind mule with an unquenchable desire for revenge. You have to come back in four weeks to hear that one, all right? But at the same time, inducted into God's hall of faith. So let's begin. I did title the message, even though this is, we're looking at a child with undeniable promise. As I outline the text, I outline the text, and this is the title I have. It's Understanding God's Calling. How many of you want to understand God's calling for your life? This is a great text with seven points about understanding God's calling. And so if you're a note taker, understanding God's calling, we're going to see tonight that again, by His grace, He's going to raise up yet another judge, another deliverer, as we've seen. It's going to be this man, Samson. And we're going to see that God is, is so gracious in choosing a deliverer. And it's amazing where this deliverer comes from. Because too often we think that a deliverer's got to come from the mighty. The deliverer's got to come from the, you know, he's got to be King Saul, head and shoulders above everybody else. He's got to be stronger and better looking and more powerful. But you know what? That's not always what God does. And more often than not, the Bible says he uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. It's in our weakness that he's made strong. And that's when the Lord rises up a deliverer because he's going to do it tonight for one of the most unlikely couples in the Bible. It's in this text we're going to learn about calling a term that many are confused by. So if you're taking notes, here are the seven points. Number one, God often calls people from the most unlikely places. God often calls people from the most unlikely places. The most unlikely people from the most unlikely places. Number two, the Lord calls us personally. That ought to be an encouragement to you. God literally calls you by name. How about that? The creator of the universe. I don't know how many billions of people are on the planet right now, but yet he calls you by name. And we need to respond to His voice. Number three, with calling comes direction. If God calls you, He will direct you in your calling. You're not going to be called to some ambiguous nothing. If God calls you, He will direct your calling. Number four, with calling comes confirmation. When God has called you, it won't be some you know, whim that happens for a second. It's going to be confirmed by the Word. It's going to be confirmed by others with calling comes confirmation. Number five, true calling requires sacrifice. True calling requires sacrifice. A bunch of you said, I'm not called after that point. <laughs> true calling requires sacrifice. Sixth, true calling produces a heart to worship, a heart of awe, and a heart of desperation. You're going to say, true calling produces a heart of worship. When you are truly called by God, you're going to have a different opinion and view and passion for him than you've ever had before when you recognize God's calling on your life. And then lastly, those who the Lord calls, he empowers. Those who the Lord calls, he empowers. He doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. 
And we're going to see, sadly, that with all these things going for Samson, he's not going to fulfill it because he's going to get caught up in his flesh. So let's begin in verse 1. Understanding God's calling. God often calls people from the most unlikely of places. Let's begin in verse 1. Again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. How many times have we seen that in this book so far? Seven. Number of completeness, but we're hoping that's not what this is, right? Complete failure. But seven times we've seen them walking with the Lord. God delivers them from the enemy after they cry out to God and he raises, you know, brings them back out and they're walking with God and he restores fellowship with him. And then the judge or deliverer dies. And as soon as he dies, what happens? They do evil again in the sight of the Lord. This is beginning that final cycle of sin. And the sad part is they've just experienced over 30 years of peace. They had four consecutive godly judges, four judges who kept them worshiping the true and living God, starting with Jephthah and then moving on from there. And after 30, basically 31 years, as soon as Abdon dies, their previous judge, with no judge to lead them, they run straight back to the world. You know what? I believe that's a picture of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You know what? If the Holy Spirit's not on the throne, we're going to run right back to the world. Amen? We need to be allowing the Holy Spirit to rule and reign in our lives. The Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines. Look what it says. They did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. The depths of their apostasy resulted in their being placed under the bondage of their greatest enemy yet for the longest amount of time yet. Guys, all sin is sin. You know that telling a lie is just as much a sin as murdering 10 people. That's true. But you also need to know this, that the consequences are different. Amen? They're both sin, but the consequences are different. And it's also true that the consequences are greater, I believe, for those of us who've had the greatest exposure to the truth of the gospel. Can anybody in our country say they don't know how to go to heaven? Can anybody really say that they don't know who Jesus Christ is? Certainly where Carries come from, in Africa that's true. In India that's true that there are people that have never heard the name of Christ. But where we are, people have heard it so many times they've become complacent. And sadly what we see here is the same thing is that God had done great and awesome things. God's delivered them. They've heard about the miracles. They, they know their ancestors went through the Red Sea. They've seen God defeat the enemy. And yet they grow complacent because it's so common to them and they get caught up and fall right back into the same old trap of their ancestors, turning back to the world. They'd experienced the peace of God of walking in obedience to Him, but yet again they turn away from the Lord. You know what? You become most linked to that which you worship. Everybody's worshiping something. And I was just talking about this with this, uh, the other pastors this week in the office. You can often tell where someone's heart is by looking in their checkbook. Is that true or not? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Is that true or not? You know, the truth is that if, if I open up anybody's, I can find someone's checkbook on the street and just open it up and I'll have an idea what their life is like and what's important to them. Amen? You also can find out what's important to you by where you spend your time. Where you spend your time and where you spend your money shows where your heart is. If all your time is invested in your career and, and making more money and those types of things, and very little time is spent in the presence of the Lord, we find out what your real passion and what, you really worship, what you're really worshiping is. Now, are, do we need to go to work? Absolutely. Should we do our work as unto the Lord? Without question. Should we work a full week? You bet. Amen? I believe Christians ought to be the best workers in the building. People ought to look at us and say, I want 10 more people just like them. Why? Because as Christians, that's part of our testimony. But know this, the common bond that we have is either with the Lord or with our career or with the pursuit of money. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Well, because their treasure had turned from the Lord to the things of the world, the consequences came. And the Philistines became God's appointed board of education. In my house, when my kids were growing up, we had a board that said the board of education. And that's what we used to hand out swats. And it said right on it, the Board of Education. And even though they're teenagers now, every once in a while I feel like I might need to break that thing back out. But here's the thing. God brings discipline. Those who the Lord loves, He disciplines. Amen? And He disciplines them to bring them back into right fellowship. So He brings in these, the most powerful enemy yet, the Philistines. 
They were based in southern Israel, which is the Gaza Strip today. I find that interesting. These guys were originally from Europe. They were seafaring people who had traveled down the Aegean Sea to the Mediterranean coast. They'd been there about 300 years. They were the most sophisticated people on the planet at the time when it came to weapons and armor and military ability. They were armed with iron weapons. They were the most dominant force on the planet. And no doubt Israel thought, we're going to need somebody awesome to combat these guys. We're going to need someone really powerful to be able to combat these guys. Forty years, they've been, again, under their rule. So where did the Lord raise up a leader to fight against these guys? Did he go to the royal bloodlines? Did he, did he go down and find the most... Did he have a, a tournament of champions? You know, bring out all the... Bring everybody out. Whoever wins the battle can be our king, right? And lead us into... That's not what happened at all. It's amazing where he went. He went to a woman who was cursed by men. In those days, if you were barren, you were cursed. God must not care for you. You must have done something wrong if you can't have children because that was considered a blessing in those days. Look at verse 2. Now there was a certain man from Zorah of the family of the Danites, the tribe of Dan, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. So Zorah Zorah, was a land about 14 miles from Jerusalem and it was right on the border of where the Philistines dwelt. Manoah means rest. And I find that interesting that this guy's name means rest in the midst of turmoil. You've got to realize all the people around him are worshiping the false gods again. Forty years, again, walking away from the Lord. At this point, it hasn't been the full 40 years because Samson's got to grow up. But that time has begun. They're worshiping the false gods. They're not walking with the Lord. And they need someone. There needs to be a deliverer. God chooses to use men, though he could do it himself. And he goes to the family of a barren woman. Again, this was considered a curse among the women of the day. Of all the people the Lord could have chosen, why did He choose this barren woman, this most unlikely of candidates? The Lord chose one who the world saw as weak, incomplete, and even cursed by God. God indeed does use the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Ought to be an encouragement to all of us, amen? Amen. You're being used by God, what does that make you? A foolish thing, amen? Who did He choose later? Fishermen, tax collectors, right? He chose the uneducated. And the, but it later says to them, they marveled they were untrained men, but they'd been with Jesus. See, the Lord's not looking for outward ability. He's looking at inward hearts. And that God often calls people from the most unlikely of places. Why? So that He alone might be glorified. Amen. If God only called the mighty, then the mighty would be glorified. But if God uses those who the world do not consider to be mighty... And I'm going to blow your whole thought process about Samson before we're done tonight. Some of you have a picture of Samson in your mind. I think it's inaccurate. We'll talk about that in a minute. So it says there in verse 3, the second thing is the the Lord calls each of us personally. So he calls people from the most unlikely of places. He goes to a barren woman, cursed in man's eyes, outside of the city. Again, not anybody that anybody else would necessarily pick out, but the Lord does. And look what it says. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman. Who's the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament? Jesus Christ on earth. Okay? Jesus Christ. Every time you see angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, it's Jesus. So Jesus shows up to me with this barren, cursed woman from the world's perspective. I think it's important to note that God uses so many times throughout the Bible barren women. Have you ever noticed that? Women who think they can't have children, and then God chooses to use them. Uh, Isaac, Jacob, John the Baptist, Samuel. Why? Why does God choose to use them? Let me tell you my my, uh, thought on this. You remember the case of Hannah? What did she do? She was so desperate to have a child, she went down to the place of worship, and she would weep and just cry out for hours on end, Lord, please. And if you will give me a child, I will give him back to you, and he will serve you all the days of his life. I believe that God, of course, being sovereign, knowing everything, it was always his will that Samuel would serve him all of his days of his life. And to get his mom on the same page, he kept her from having children until she was ready to do it. You know what? God will often keep us from that thing that we desire to bring us to the place of desperation and brokenness where we will give it back to him completely. 
In each of these cases, I believe these barren women, no doubt, are praying. They're seeking the Lord. And at God's perfect timing, He brings them the child. Great trials produce the heart needed for great service. You want to be used mildly by God, you're going to go through some difficult times. Again, no record of this woman praying, but we can assume, like any barren woman, she was desperate to have a child. And look what it says. The angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. These are the most joyous words she could possibly hear. There's no greater words in this woman's mind that she could possibly hear than that she's going to be giving birth to a child. And the most incredible thing is it comes directly from the Lord Himself. I believe the same is true today. Men don't call men. Men don't call themselves. Education doesn't equal calling. God alone can place a calling on somebody's life. Nobody else can. Why is it I never tell you? People get so frustrated with me. But come to the office and say, just tell me what to do. Just whatever you tell me to do, I'll do it. And then I go, I'm not going to tell you. And they just get mad at me. I said, because if I call you, if I tell you, if I call you, I have to sustain you. I'll be calling you in two months to remind you to show up. Why? Because you're doing it for me. I want you to do it because you can't not do it. Does that make sense? Where, man, God has got to be such a burden. I have to do this. It's a calling. It's a get to. It's not a have to. I'm losing sleep at night over it. And Lord, man, I just have to do this for God. And I'll run through brick walls to do it. I'll change my schedule at work. I'll I'll sleep less. I'll do whatever I have to do because God's called me to do it. That's the kind of people we want serving. Amen? Not the people that you had to go up behind and twist their arm until they said, Uncle right? That's not what you want in ministry. God alone is the one who calls a man or a woman. But when he calls you, know that he will empower you by his spirit to fulfill what he's called you to do. He goes to this woman and says, guess what? You're going to have a child. I've answered your many years of prayer. Again, my supposition. We don't see her praying, but I'm just guessing. I've answered your prayer, but now because God is the one, the Lord is showing her that he has answered her prayer, now this calling is going to come with some direction. He doesn't just call us, and I have people say that, I've got a calling on my life, you're called to do what? I don't know. God's got a calling on my life, to do what? I don't know. You didn't hear from God, because God's not confused, amen? You might be, he's not. I've got a calling on my life, uh, but to what? I, I've been called for 10 years, and I've just been praying about what it's for. No, you don't know. If you're called, you'll know. God provides direction with calling. God may stir it up for some time, but He will give you direction. So understanding God's calling. God often calls people from the most unlikely places. The Lord calls each one of us personally. He's the one that calls us by name and calls us into ministry. And we're all called, by the way, into ministry, not just some of us, not just those in full time. Then it says, then verse, the number three thing is, starting in verse four, with calling comes direction. Look what it says there in verse 4 and 5. Now therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hands hand of the Philistines. Wow. Now, she goes from barren to being told, oh, not only that, you're going to have a son, and he's going to be the deliverer for Israel. And not only that, he's going to be a Nazarite from, from, his, from your womb, and that means that these are the things you need to do in being his parent. You know what? I believe that God has that kind of direction for us as parents. Amen? God has a clear plan for how he wants us to raise his kids. They're not ours, they're his. And you know what? This broken and desperate woman who'd been barren her entire life would no doubt be willing to do whatever it takes. Coming to the end of herself, she says, Lord, that's fine. You know, you're going to give me a child. She may have even prayed, Lord, give me a child and whatever you ask, I'll give it to you. And now the Lord answers that prayer. She's been told by God he's going to to both bless and be used mightily. And not only would she have that son, but he would be again that deliverer of Israel. He then gave her some clear directions for her to fulfill on the calling of both her life and her son's. He was to be a Nazarite. Now, Nazarite, Nazir, Nazir, N-A-Z-I-R, just means to separate. 
He's going to be separated from his mother's womb. His life was to be separated unto the Lord and separated from the world. If you were here when we went through the book of Numbers, in Numbers chapter 6, it talks about the Nazarite vow. Most people who had the Nazarite vow had it for a short amount of time. You know, a month, a year, six months. There's only, in my mind, two people that could potentially have had it for a lifetime, and that would be Samson and John the Baptist. The rest of them had it for a period of time, including people like the Apostle Paul, who had that, took the Nazarite vow for a, a period of time. Now, we know three things about the Nazarite vow. Number one, when you took the vow, you were to never have wine or similar drink. Proverbs 20 says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it, uh, led astray by it is not wise. Proverbs 31 says, It is not for kings to drink wine, nor princes strong drink. Ephesians 5 says, And do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. You've heard me say it many times. Alcohol is called spirits, right? If we've got the Holy Spirit, we don't need the spirits. Amen? 1 Timothy 3, in the qualifications of a pastor or an elder in the church, not given to wine. Now, every time I talk about this, people get whipped up. Well, you can have a glass of wine, and Jesus drank wine, and well, right? Every single time it happens. Let me ask you a question. Can you get drunk if you don't have the first glass? What are the chances of that? Zero. Amen? But I know people say, well, just, I just have one glass. It, just, it takes the edge off. Take the edge off with the, with the Lord, not with wine. Amen? Amen. Why don't you start praying instead of drinking? It's interesting, in, in the text in, in Numbers, alcohol comes right after adultery. Because they tend to go together. Why do people go to bars to meet people? Right? Let me get lit out of my mind, I'll lower my inhibitions, and I'll do something really stupid. It's amazing. Again, we need to be fully controlled by the Holy Spirit, not given to the spirits. Amen? So let me just encourage you. You pray about what God would have you to do. I can tell you for me, I don't drink alcohol, period. I haven't in 20-something years. I don't. Don't need it. I'm fine. You know why? I got Jesus. I don't need it. Amen? Amen. And I know it's a struggle for many. But And I'll tell you another thing. I've heard people say that they went to a restaurant or something and they saw someone who they thought was a Christian drinking alcohol and it can be a stumbling block to people. Did you know that? So even if you don't, quote, get drunk, you drinking can be a stumbling block. The Nazarite vow to be separated from the world was stay away from the alcohol. Be not drunk with wine, be filled with the Holy Spirit. What's interesting, they were not only not allowed to drink wine, but no, no grapes, no vinegar, no seeds, no skins. You know why? Because God knew the tendency of man. He would somehow, you know, change the shape of it to make it okay. Well, if I ferment some grapes, but I don't peel them or squeeze them, I can eat those. Because that's how we are, isn't it? We look for the loophole, the holy loophole, right? People do that all the time. You counsel with somebody about, you know, you're, just, you're talking to another Christian and they'll try to find a holy loophole. But yeah, but that's not really, you know, and the Bible doesn't necessarily say, and if I do it in the... Oh, stop it. You know God's heart. Amen? Quit trying to find a loophole. Just start serving Him with your whole heart. You know what? We need to be separated. Why? We need to be clear of mind, not impacted by wine or beer or strong drink. And the word for drugs in the Bible... The word for sorcery is pharmakia. We get the word pharmaceuticals. It's amazing how many people take drugs and think they're seeing God all of a sudden, right? <laughs> I saw all these lights when I was on LSD. Well, that was not God, okay? That was your brain frying is what that was. But what about marijuana? It grows up out of the ground. You've heard me talk about this. You know, they're trying to pass a bill now in Santa Cruz to make that less of a crime and less of an issue and less of a problem. They can legalize marijuana all day long, and you as Christians should never smoke it. Okay? And people say, but it comes out of the ground. So does mercury. You want to smoke some of that? How about uranium? Let's not smoke some uranium. It comes right out of the ground. Don't use that foolish argument. Be not drunk with wine. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to be separated to the Lord and from the world. Amen? The second thing that happened, they let their hair grow long. Now understand this, in those days, men did not, contrary to the movies you see on TV, 
Men in those days did not grow their hair long. And so it was a way for them, they stood out. It was an automatic testimony to the world around them that was something was different about them because they were letting their hair grow. Questions no doubt would come up. Dude, why is your hair so long? I've taken a Nazarite vow to be separated to the Lord. It was a mark of identification and a vow being made to the Lord. It was a public vow, easily identifiable by all who saw it. Not unlike maybe today for a Christian to walk around with a Christian t-shirt on or Christian fish on your car, carrying your Bible, but even more importantly, just a life sold out for God that people can see when you're walking down the street. That's the mark of the Nazarite vow. God has called us not to be undercover Christians. Amen? Let your light so shine that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. The Nazarite vow is a picture of us as Christians being bold in our faith. So separated from the wine, clear mind focused on God. Let their hair grow long, be identifiable, let their light so shine. And lastly, they were to be separated from the dead. They were to go nowhere near a dead body, not to touch them. They were never to attend a funeral. That might seem kind of harsh. But for them... It was, again, would make them ceremonially unclean if they went near a dead body, but separation from death was separation from the world. They were witness to the world, but to have no fellowship with it. And for us, we're not to be hanging around dead people today, amen? Dead people today would be spiritually dead people. And the the Nazarite vow was they were not to allow themselves to be defiled. Again, do we reach out to the world? Absolutely. But are we joined to them And in fellowship with them, the answer is absolutely not. Guys, it's also important in how we're entertained. Guys, the entertainment we watch will defile us. And you know what? We'll be desensitized to sin, won't we? You ever found yourself rooting for people that are sinning in a movie because they make it look so good? You ever seen that happen? I was just talking to my wife about this last night. You'll be watching something and they'll make it look like, well, his wife is a total jerk and this lady's really nice to him. And you start rooting for adultery if you're not careful. Is that true or not? And they'll play on your heart, and the music will play when they come in the room, and you know, no, it's you know, and before you know, oh, he may hate her. She's no good. Yeah, you're right. And you know, it's always that thing, you know, and legitimizing why sin is okay. And you know, we need to watch what we're entertained by because we're going to be desensitized to sin if we're not careful. We already have been. They were not to even go to the funeral of their own parents or their own family. Luke says this, If anyone comes after me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, his own life, he cannot be my disciples. Boy, people don't like that verse. Let me just explain that to you. He's saying you got to love God more than anything else. Amen? You know the best thing I can do for my wife is love God more than her? The best thing I can do for my kids is love God more than her? best thing I do for my boss is love God with my whole heart and do my job as unto the Lord and make Him the priority in my life. Well, this was Samson's vow. His parents had to play a huge part in it. How? They had to start him off when he was a child and he didn't make the decision whether or not to cut his hair, right? They had to say, no, we're not cutting your hair. No, you're not drinking any grape juice. No, you're not going near a dead animal. We're going to protect you and we're going to keep you in God's calling for your life. And you know what? I love Chuck Smith's story about having a drug problem. People go, Chuck Smith had a drug problem? Yeah, he said, my mom drugged me to church. She drugged me to Bible study. She drugged... <laughs> so I had a drug problem growing up. And you know what? His mom dedicated his life to the Lord when, before he was born. And you know, we need to be doing the same thing with our family. It's, the parents take an active role in the calling of our children because we raise them up in the way that they should go. Look what it says in verse 6 and 7. So the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came to me, and his countenance is like the countenance of the, of the, the angel of God. Very awesome. Man, I like that. Amen. You know, we use that word a lot, awesome. Only one's awesome, and his name's Jesus. Amen? Amen? And what I love about this, the word awesome means to cause astonishment, reverence, and godly fear. And I love the fact that she received the word and she ran and brought it to her husband. Look what it says here. It says there, But I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. And he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. 
Now drink no wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. She's passing on the word verbatim the way God told it to her. This shows faith on her part, doesn't it? She's been barren her entire life. She runs to her husband. He didn't see this happen. And she runs to him and tells him as if it's an, a, a surety, a done deal. He told me this is what's going to happen. She didn't say, well, he thinks it might happen. I, I had a dream. I don't really know what it means. And, no, that's not what happened. She came and said, the, a, a, a man of God came to me and here's what he told me. And I love that she passes this on to her husband. And she passes on the parenting direction she'd been given by the Lord as well. Because she was not to, even while he was in her womb, drink strong drink. He was to be separated to the Lord, and it was to begin even in pregnancy. So understanding God's will. God often calls people from the most unlikely places. The Lord calls each one personally, and with calling comes direction. Did she get some clear direction here, or what? God had a calling. He gave her clear direction. This is what I want you to do. Fourthly, with calling comes confirmation. Look at verse 8. The Manoah, this is her husband, prayed to the Lord and said, Oh my Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come to us again and teach us what we shall do for the child who will be born. I love the fact that her husband listened to the heart of his wife and believed what she said and her faith imparted faith to him. He didn't say the baby that she thinks is going to be born. He said the baby that will be born. This is the heart of two people who are knit together by God. He didn't disregard his wife's words. Guys, we can do that sometimes, amen? Am I the only, now, am I the only one being in trouble now? Can we disregard our wife's words sometimes? God's called us to lead, but God's also called us to listen. Amen? That was even weaker than the first one. The wife's like, listen, see, you said listen. Now, that's up to me, man. He believed her completely. He sought the Lord for even more instruction that he might faithfully obey the word brought to his wife. Teach us what we're supposed to do when this child is born. We want to be obedient to God's will and obedient to God's command. Praying to know God's heart that he might be a good and faithful father. Verse 9, And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came to the woman again. As she was sitting in the field, but Manoah, her husband, was not with her. I find this interesting that Manoah prayed and he shows up to to his wife again. Comes to his wife again. God heard and answered his prayer and appeared again to his wife. Why? I don't know for sure, but it could be again that God was teaching him to heed the words of his wife. God does everything for a reason, amen? Everything. So he appears again to his wife. Now watch how she responds. Then the woman, verse 10, ran in haste and told her husband. You know, when God speaks to us, it ought to motivate us. Amen? Angel showed up and she moved. She didn't say, well, I'm thinking about possibly down the road at some point. And I'll tell you, when God speaks to us, it ought to provoke an action. Belief ought to impact behavior. Amen? Again, I have so many people tell me, oh, I'm called and I feel like... And we've been having this conversation for four years. And I just... You know, I get to, I love you guys, but at some point I want to say, dude, you're not called because you haven't done anything. You know what? When God speaks, let's move. Amen? God won't steer a parked car very often. Amen? We just got to put that thing in gear and start moving, and then God will give us some direction. And too often we're sitting and waiting for the writing on the wall. Be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. He showed up and she ran. You know what she reminded me of? The woman at the well. Remember when Jesus ministered to her, John chapter 4? And she ran into the city and said, come and meet the man who told me everything I ever did. It's interesting. The apostles went into Samaria and brought back some food. She went into Samaria and brought the whole town out to be saved. Who was really the apostle at that point, right? Those guys are being the B-apostles or C-apostles or something. They're coming back with food. She's coming back with people. She heard and she ran. And this is the heart of Manoah's wife. She ran in haste and said to him, Look, the man who came to me the other day has just now appeared to me. He's here again. No, Manoah didn't say, Are you out of your mind? You know, uh, are you really sure? What did you have for lunch? Are you sure you didn't, you know? No, look what it says. He arose and followed his wife. And when he came to the man, he said to him, 
Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, what did he say? I am. I am. Whose name is I am? God's name in the burning bush. When Moses said, who shall I say sent me? I am. Not I was. Not I will be. He's the great I am. We're the great I ain't, right? <laughs> we're the not so great I ain't, amen? He's the great I am. I am means always has been, always will be. And he went and followed her lead. He was sensitive that God had spoken to her. He received what she said and he ran to hear. Again, Manoah is sensitive that God is speaking to him through his wife and the soon-to-be son, and he goes to the man to speak to him. And when he comes, he asks him if he indeed is the man who spoke to his wife before. Verse 12, Manoah said, Now let your words come to pass. Let your will be done. Your word be done. Can we pray that more often? Lord, your will be done. Your word be done. Your desire come to pass. Not my will, but thy will, Lord. And he says, What will be the boy's rule of life and his work? Manoah, not necessarily doubting what his wife has told him, but he really wants to make sure he's doing what is right before God. He wanted to hear it for himself. Tell me, how am I supposed to raise this boy? You're the one giving him to us. I want to be faithful to it. How does Jesus respond, the angel of the Lord? So the angel Lord, verse 13, said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor may she drink wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean. All that I've commanded her, let her observe. You know what the Lord tells him? The same thing he told his wife. Exactly the same thing. You know why? God's word doesn't change. You can ask God the same question a hundred times, he's going to give you the same answer, amen? And so... He wanted to have holy kids. He wanted clear instructions. But the Lord basically is letting him know what I have already said is enough. Guys, it was already in God's Word. He could go to Numbers chapter 6. Did they have the, the, the law of Moses? What's the answer? Yes, they did. So he could go to number 6, look up the Nazarite vow, and read it. And he's telling him, don't look for something new. Listen to what I've already told your wife. And of course, we can always confirm it in the Word of God. That is a great message for us today. Amen. Quit looking for something new. You know, people flying to Florida and Toronto to get drunk in the Spirit. I, we just talked about that. Be not drunk with wine. Why would we want to be drunk in the Spirit? Amen? Amen. People barking in the Spirit. There's always some new thing coming along. And you know what? We don't need anything new. If it's new, it's not true. Amen? Amen. It's the Word of God is sufficient. And we need to turn to the Word of God. It has the answers we need. We need to simply obey what God has... i got enough problem with the 66 books right here. How about you? i got a lot more to learn. I don't need any more chapters or books or new things. Amen? It's the Word of God, and it's enough. Fifthly, true calling requires sacrifice. Look what it says. The Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you, and we will prepare a young goat for you. So Manoah, not realizing yet who this is, wants to make him a meal, show a sign of hospitality, no doubt thankful for the word that has come to him. May have thought he was no more than a, a prophet passing by. And he offers to make him a meal, being hospitable. You know, I want to, let, me make, let me kill a, a young goat for you and we'll have a nice meal together. Verse 16, And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Though you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you offer a burnt offering, you must offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know he was the angel of the Lord. Did the Lord need their food? No. He didn't need their food. Instead, what he wanted was their sacrifice. He wanted their praise. He wanted them to honor the Lord. Notice what he says there. He says, make a burnt offering to the Lord. Why does he have to say, to the Lord? Who's everybody worshiping at this point? The false gods of the land. They're worshiping Molech and Baal and every, you know, Ashtaroth and all the other false gods. And they're making sacrifices, but they're making them to the false gods of the world. And he says, you need to make the sacrifice to the true and living God. He points them, again, to the Word of God. To make proper sacrifice to the Lord, not to the false gods of the Philistines. To make their burnt offering unto God the Lord. 
Then Manoah said to the angel, verse 17, What is your name, that when your words come to pass, we may honor you? He wouldn't let him give him any food. He told him to make a sacrifice unto the Lord. Isn't it interesting that Jesus is always pointing to the Father, right? Holy Spirit is always pointing to Jesus, amen? So when you hear somebody, you know, if it's the Lord, he'll be pointing to the Father. That's what Jesus does. Make sacrifice to the Father. Make sacrifice unto him. That's what you need to do. And now Manoah says to him, what is your name? Why does he want to know his name? Because after the baby is born, he wants to recognize or remember who it was who had told him that they were going to have a child. Now he has no idea what the name is, but he's going to find out. Verse 18. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? Who is this? If you have any doubt that this is Jesus. Isaiah chapter 9 says this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Who's, and that's a messianic verse about the coming Messiah. And who's that talking about? Jesus Christ. Amen. And it says in this verse, you didn't know that Jesus was all over judges, did you? He's in virtually every chapter in the Old Testament. I've yet to find one where you can't find a reference to Christ. I haven't found one yet. And you know what? I love that. Because we know when Paul went into the synagogue, how did he teach about Jesus? From the Old Testament. He just opened it up. Jesus did the same thing with the guys on the road to Emmaus, to Emmaus, right? He just started talking about himself all from the Old Testament. They walked for hours. And when they got to their place of destination, it said their hearts burned because the Old Testament was so filled with Jesus Christ. Why do we teach the Old Testament on Wednesday night? Because it points to our Savior. He's wonderful. The word wonderful means incomprehensible, extraordinary. Man, I like that. He's incomprehensible, uh, incons- incomprehensibly or uh, extraordinary. Amen? That's the God we serve. He is beyond our comprehension. Did you know that? No matter how great you think He is, He's way greater than that. And no matter how awesome, and no matter how wonderful, no matter how extraordinary, He's beyond it. And then when it says, So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord. And he did a wondrous thing while Manoah and his wife looked on. Being that he's wonderful, it makes sense that he would do a wondrous thing. Amen? So while all the others you know, were sacrificing to the false gods of the world, Manoah made sacrifice to the true and living God. You know what? Every one of us is making sacrifices to someone or something. The world makes their sacrifices to the false gods of this world. Career, money, power, pleasure, prestige. But if you're called by God, it will be reflected in a desire to completely give up your life to Him. To faithless, faithfully respond to God's calling upon your life, it's going to cost you something, you guys. Again, giving up the temporal in pursuit of the eternal. Too often, people want to serve God if it costs them nothing. David said, I, can sacrifice, I cannot sacrifice that which costs me nothing. I love... The, the saying, a man is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliott said that. He was killed in his early 20s witnessing to the Alka Indians. You know what? A man is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And if we're going to truly serve God, it's going to cost us something. So how did this wondrous thing, what was it that happened, this wondrous thing? Look at the next verse. It happened as the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. When when Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground, I guess so. (laughs) When you start to grasp how wonderful God is, it's going to impact how you respond to Him. Amen? A true calling requires a sacrifice, and a true calling produces a heart of worship. Because look what happens here. As soon as they recognize who the Lord is, they can end up no place but face down on the ground. For the first time, they fully understood He was more than a man, more than a prophet, more than a messenger. They realized they were speaking to God Himself. And the closer you and I get to Almighty God, we start to grasp His greatness and His holiness, and we're blown away. Amen? 
We need to be more blown away about God. Amen? Amen. More in awe, more in reverence, more blown away by the greatness of who He is. The more passionate we will become as we start to just even get a glimpse of His greatness. They fell on their faces. True calling, true understanding of who God is produce a heart of worship and awe and desperation. Here's what I think is one of the biggest problems in the church today. And I'm not talking about in the world because we know that's true. One of the biggest problems in the church today is a lack of us taking our callings seriously. Why do we do that? Because we don't have enough fear, awe, and reverence for God and His greatness and His holiness. We don't have enough reverence for God, do we? Boy, are we napping? I know the chairs are really nice. Maybe we'll drag the metal chairs out here next week. That would be good. But the, 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 the truth is that the, more, the closer you get to the Lord, aren't you just blown away by His greatness? And, you know, we need to be in that position of more awe, more reverence. And you know what? The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, the Bible says. And the problem in the world today, there's no fear of God. Don't they mock God on TV? Isn't every Christian a doofus? Is that true or not? Every Christian's just some weirdo. And you're just out of your mind, and you've got to accept the way life really is, and you're just, uh, you know, and everything that you, if you, the only people that are mocked in a, an amoral society are the people that have morals. We used to be immoral. We had a line, and we didn't care what it was. Now it's amoral. There are no morals. And the only people that catch static are the ones that have any. And the sad part is that we live in a world today, there's no fear and no awe and no reverence for God. And you know what? Sometimes we need a, a hurricane. Sometimes we need something to realize we are not anywhere near close to the greatness of God. He is so awesome and so great. And if he let go of this universe for a nanosecond, it'd be game over. Amen. He holds it all in his hand. Amen. That's the God that we serve. Amen. And there needs to be more fear and awe and reverence for him. And that's where they came to. They knew finally who he really was. Verse 21 and 22. When the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife, then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. He knew. Okay. Guy goes up in the fire, that's probably a clue. But look how he responds. And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die because we have seen God. Is there any doubt this is Jesus? There's zero doubt. This is, you can't refute it. You can't even debate it. This is Jesus. And he says, we have seen God. How awesome was the sight? Manoah knew what he had seen was so beyond anything he'd ever seen before. He thought surely death was going to be the result of it. He may have known the verse in Exodus that says, you cannot see my face for no man can see God and live. But we know that God allows man not to see God the Father, but the person of the Son. Certainly Jesus walked around on earth. He's fully God, but He took on humanity that we might be able to interact with Him. We're almost done. Verse 23. But His wife said to Him, If the Lord had desired to kill us, He would not have accepted a burnt offering and a great offering from our hands, nor would He have shown us all these things, nor would He have told us such things as these at this time. Now, who's being logical here? His wife. He's like, we're all going to die. She's like, wait a minute. Back up. Didn't he just promise we're going to have a son who's going to be the deliverer? And didn't he just accept our burnt offering? And wasn't he here to talk? Would he have done all that if he was going to kill us? Well, I guess not. You know what I mean, right? But I love that his wife increases his faith. I like that. Again, pay attention to your wives, guys. It seems that Manasseh's wife was really the one that was more in tune with God. Who did he appear to twice? His wife. And then his wife was the one that came and brought the truth to him, right? She understood what God had, again, that God did not abandon them and would not abandon them. And God's, God's work in our past life ought to encourage us in our future as well, amen? You know, when you look back and you see all the things God's done for you, shouldn't you have more faith that God's going to continue to be faithful going forward? Manoah's wife was an invaluable source of encouragement for his faith. Wives be an encouragement to your husbands. You know, Whenever our spouse, either side, is acting faithless, we should not be kicking them for their lack of faith. We should be encouraging them. Amen? And I go, what, are you stupid? Well, you don't believe God? Or, you know, you know, don't do that. Can I pray with you? Can I encourage you? Can I love on you? True calling produces a heart of worship, awe, and desperation. Lastly, those who the Lord 
calls, He empowers. Look what it says. So the woman bore a son, and she called his name Samson. Again, means bright, light, or shiny, shining. And the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. Now here's the true source of his power. Look at verse 25. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him. The source of his strength was not his long hair. The source of his strength was the Holy Spirit upon him. The source of your strength is not anything physical that you have. It is the Spirit of the living God being upon you. Now, people think, and we'll talk about this more in the coming weeks, that Samson was huge. We have the Bible game at home, right? Samson is like a monster in that thing. He makes Arnold Schwarzenegger look like a runt. I mean, the guy's Arnold, he's just huge. In the Bible game we have on video, right? I have an idea that Samson was probably pretty wimpy. Because why else were they blown away that he was picking stuff up and carrying it around. If you're like six foot nine and 450 pounds, people expect you to pick stuff up, right? But if a little scrawny guy goes up and picks up the gates to the city and carries it for miles, everybody's like, dude, what's that about, right? <laughs> Today they'd be testing his urine sample or something, right? <laughs> but in those days, they were trying to figure out where, where does your strength come from? They didn't say, man, it's just huge biceps. What's his workout program? You know what? what? What are you benching these days? How many sets do you do? I want to get the strength. They weren't looking at physical stuff. They were trying to figure out how this guy was so strong. And it, here's the answer. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him. You want to do great things for the kingdom of God? You need to die to yourself and be filled instead with the Spirit of the living God. Amen. Be less of you and more of him. Jesus said of John the Baptist, none, none greater born among women. And John the Baptist said, I must decrease that he might increase. Got to be less of us and more of him. So, it says there from Manahadan between Zorah and Eshtawal, it's interesting that Manahadan means, Mahanadan means tent of judgment. And we know sadly that it's not going to take Samson long. We know Samson's biggest failure, women. Struggling with women. Real strong with men, had no problem with that. Fighting wars, yeah, no problem. Going into battle, no sweat. Pretty woman walks by, he's in trouble. A lot of guys can relate to that, amen? One of the biggest struggles in the world today. So in closing, understanding God's calling. Number one, God often calls people from the most unlikely of places. Why? That he might be glorified. Number two, the Lord calls each one personally. He doesn't delegate that to anybody else. He's the one that will call you. Number three, with calling comes direction. If God is calling you, He will give you direction. I knew that God was calling me to come to Santa Cruz. It was not a doubt in my mind. When we first came here, I want to tell you something. Everybody else thought I had lost my mind because we were six months in and nobody was coming. And people kept saying, it's just not going to work. And you know what? I can honestly tell you that I never doubted for one second. Why? Not because I was coming on what I thought, but God had made it clear that He was going to do the work. And God is faithful to His Word every single time. Amen? So we need to get in line with His Word and just go. And say, well, God said, that's it. And this, was, this is that hard. That with calling comes direction. With calling comes confirmation. I believe as we pray and as we open up the Word of God, God's going to confirm His calling upon our heart. He'll confirm it even using others. Man, I see this gift in you. I see God's calling upon your life. Number five, true calling requires sacrifice. Guys, if God has called you, it's going to call, you're going to have to sacrifice something to do it. But you know what? A man is no fool who gives it what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You're giving away something that won't last to, again, increase that which will be eternal. Number six, true calling produces a heart of worship. You know what? I, another, another place besides your checkbook where you can tell someone's at spiritually is watching them when, it, when it's time to worship. Not that we need to do that. We need to be watching and looking to the Lord. Amen? Amen. But I have people say, well, I just don't really have a heart to worship. Well, you, don't, you must not know God very well. Because the more you fall in love with Him, the more you're going to want to worship Him. Amen? And by the way, you get to heaven, guess what you're going to be doing 24-7? You better just get about it then. Amen? <laughs> you want a taste of heaven? Start worshiping. And then lastly, those who the Lord calls, He empowers. He doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. 
God's not looking for the most educated, most, you know, studly, most elegant, whatever, most wealthy even. You know what he's looking for? Someone who's just willing to lay down their life for him completely. And you know what? When he calls you, he'll equip you. Should be an encouragement to all of us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your love and your grace. And I do pray for each of us, Lord, because I know that as we've been saved, as we've been born again, the Lord, your Spirit's come to live inside of us and you've placed a calling upon every life that is here. Lord, it may be as simple as calling us to pray for our coworkers by name. It may be a calling to serve in a certain ministry in the local church or to start a Bible study or to support a missionary halfway around the world. But Lord, as you place callings upon our life, Lord, may we be sensitive to the leading of your Holy Spirit. May we respond and do it, Lord, with great joy. Lord, realizing that when you call us, you will also empower us to do what you've called us to do. And so, Lord, I just pray, Father, for each of us, Lord, that we'd be sensitive, that we'd be obedient, that we'd be faithful. And, Lord, I pray for Santa Cruz, so heavy on my heart, to see this place turn right side up. Lord, may we be tools in the hands of our Master, that you might use us to reach people for your glory. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.